In this holiday season, the Salvation Army invites everyone to love others beyond whatever hardships they may be facing. This Love Beyond the podcast series features our national leaders hosting conversations with friends of the Salvation Army who have stepped up in support of the campaign and their neighbors in need. Here's a conversation with Commissioner Hodder and Nona Jones. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fight for Good podcast. I'm your host, Commissioner Ken Hodder, National Commander of the Salvation Army, and I want to extend a special welcome to you for this Love Beyond series of podcasts in which we're talking about the intersection between faith and leadership. And today we have a very special guest to speak on that topic, a good friend, indeed a part of the Salvation Army, a woman who has distinguished herself in so many different ways across time and across uh, different industries in our country. She is the author of a number of books, including Killing Compassion, Success from the Inside Out, and From Social Media to Social Ministry. She's also a passionate advocate for youth and anti-trafficking programs. She's a powerful worship leader who leads, together with her husband, the pastor Timothy L. Jones Sr. at Open Door Ministries in Gainesville, Florida. She is a successful entrepreneur. She's a talented vocalist and a musician. She's a fine mother to two beautiful children, and on top of all that, she takes care of of a golden doodle. She is a wonderful uh, friend and a terrific representative, and we just want to welcome her here today. Nona Jones, welcome to the Love Beyond series of podcasts. Well, thank you, Commissioner Hodder. It's so great to join you. Thanks for having me. It's just a delight to have you here. We've so looked forward to this. I should tell our listeners that uh, you spoke at the meeting of the National Advisory Board uh, this past April when the board met in Los Angeles, and that was one of our finest meetings. You brought such a powerful message on that occasion. Oh, praise God. I'm just, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be a part of this mission. Um, So thank you for having me there as well. Oh, absolutely. And we'll learn more about how you're working with the Salvation Army now in the Western United States to develop its ministry. But I want to begin, if I could, Nona, at the beginning. I want to talk about your coming to Jesus Christ, uh, your childhood, about the invitation that you received, and about how it affected your life. Tell us a little bit about coming to the Lord for for you in your life. Sure. Well, um, you know, I, I thank you, first of all, for that um, just incredible introduction. And I think it's interesting that we often walk into the successful chapter that a person's life is on, and we just assume that's their whole story. But um, I am a walking, talking, living, breathing, statistical anomaly. Um, I have experienced a tremendous amount of success in my career, um, have a wonderful family. But, you know, my origin story is um, not quite as as kind. Um, I uh, grew up in a home where there was a lot of um, uh, physical, sexual, verbal abuse. I, I, I'm an only child. My father passed away um, shortly before my second birthday. And my mom had 
a live-in boyfriend who um, became abusive to me at the age of five. And um, my mother was not a person of faith. I did not grow up in a Christian household. Um, And the abuse was so traumatizing that I actually tried to end my life at the ages of nine and 11, which is... For me, it's it's just this is a particularly poignant season of my life for that because I have a son who just turned 10 and I have another son who is 12. And so essentially at their ages, um, I did not think that life was worth living, um, which is just incredible to me looking back on it. But um, shortly after my second suicide attempt um, in the sixth grade, my best friend invited me to church and I didn't know what church was. I had no point of reference so I just thought we were going to go over her house and play a game called church. I, I didn't know, know what we would be doing, but um, her mother came and picked me up that Sunday and we went to the church thing. And I remember uh, when we pulled up into the parking lot, you know, families were getting out of the cars. Um, there was just this this air of love. And when I walked into the building, I remember, you know, of course that was my first time there, but people were so welcoming and loving. And I immediately felt wanted. I felt like I belonged, which was something that I had never felt before. Um, You know, my trauma as a child had led me to act out in school. And so I would often get sent to the principal's office. I had been called all types of names. I was told I had a learning disability. And then I walk into this this church and these people, uh, it's like they just, they saw me and they loved me without even knowing me. And uh, shortly after that, I got involved with the youth ministry. And it was in that ministry um, that I accepted Jesus. The the youth pastor, he um, just really, him and his family just, they embraced me. They loved me. And, um, you know, he asked me one day, he just said, do you want to make Jesus Lord of your life? I didn't know what that meant. Um, but after he explained it, I said, yes, you know, I, I began to find my identity and who God said that I was, not the words that had been spoken over me. You know, you're, you're fat, you're ugly, you're dumb. You'll never be anything. Suddenly here I am confronted with the fact that my creator, um, he made me fearfully and wonderfully that he had a plan for me, that he set me apart uh, before I was formed in the womb. And so that truth really shaped my understanding of my, uh, worth and my value and it changed my entire life. And so I'm just, I'm so grateful um, that at the age of 12, I accepted Jesus as Lord and the abuse didn't immediately end. But um, being in that church community, I I had a place that was safe. I had a place that uh, I felt loved and I felt seen and I felt known. And that made all the difference. Yeah, there's so much in what you say uh, in your telling your story. The first thing that strikes me is how many young people today find themselves in precisely the same situation that you found yourself uh, those years ago. Uh, We read in the newspaper every day about the impact that COVID has uh, uh, wreaked upon our children, about how uh, family disintegration has uh, caused problems for our children. The lack of educational opportunities is impacting our children. Uh, the numbers of children who must be precisely where you were uh, would be enormous, it seems to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's why I have so much empathy for uh, this generation, because what's interesting is even though I experienced 
uh, pretty blatant, tangible abuse and trauma, what people would you know, typically call trauma, I think this generation is experiencing a very generalized trauma. And, um, and that's almost like the trauma of being dismissed um, where a lot of times people look at this generation and they just think, oh, you know, all you care about is social media, you know, you're not really doing anything with your life. And so the the very value that God placed in all of us, it's it's getting dismissed. And I think it's causing this generation to actually live down to people low expectations of them. And I've been there. I mean, that's frankly why I acted out in school because the expectation of me was so low that I decided to live down to it. Um, and so, yeah, I have a tremendous amount of empathy for this generation, as well as young people who um, find themselves in trouble. You know, a lot of times we say things like, what's wrong with you? Why do you keep doing this? And that's the wrong question. The question is not what's wrong with you. The question is what happened to you? What happened to you to make you think that this was the best choice for your life? Um, and, and that's the truth. I think all of us try to make the best choice for ourselves given our circumstances. So the question becomes, well, what happened to make you believe this was the best path? Mm, mm, absolutely right. And what made the difference for you, of course, was the right question, but it was also the right attitude. It wasn't that you were confronted with a series of propositional statements. Yes. But you were first invited to come into a dip different atmosphere. And that in itself is taking a risk today uh, uh, for many people to say, all right, well, I, I'd like to cross the invisible barrier that now exists between all of us and invite you to come and to be a part of this church. Uh, that is something of a courageous act these days, but look at the way it paid off in your life. Well, you know, I think it is, it's Jesus. I mean, I look at his example and I find it striking that he went, he made a beeline for the marginalized, for the outcast, for the ones that uh, were ushered to the margins of society. Like he made a beeline for them. He saw them and he loved them and he welcomed them. And I feel like being more like Jesus is not a derivative of knowing more doctrine and you know being more theologically astute. I think being more like Jesus is seeing the unseen. It's loving the unloved. Um, it's being available to those who um, people have said, I don't have time for you. You're not worth my time. That is, that's Jesus. And so I'm just, I'm so grateful for the Salvation Army because I mean, gosh, that's, that's what we're doing every single day, you know, all over the world is being Jesus um, to people who have been cast aside and, and tossed out. And I sometimes wonder I don't know if it's a function of, uh, you know, the kind of Western, you know, Christianity. I'm not sure because I haven't seen it in other contexts, but I feel like we want the faith to be really clean and really pristine. Like we want everybody to have the right clothes and, you know, to have the right smile and have the right job. And, and it's like, you know what, that's an ideal, but, but an ideal is not the reality. Um, so I just thank God for the Salvation Army and the fact that uh, we're not looking for the perfect person. Uh, we're like Jesus. We're looking for the person who's in need of hope. Yeah, yeah I love the way you put that because uh, the uh, uh, approach that we're taking uh, this year and next year 
is based upon First uh, Peter 4, 8, which talks about, above all, love each other deeply. So we're talking to people about loving beyond, love beyond their circumstances, love beyond their homelessness, love them uh, beyond what you see on the surface, because they are indeed created in the image of God. Uh, they are worthy uh, of love and care and attention. And motivating people to do that uh, can have a huge impact, uh, both as individuals, as communities, and indeed as a nation as a whole. Amen. I mean, and that's honestly nothing of significance, no significant change has ever happened until a body of people decided to live beyond their comfort zone. Because change does not reside within comfort. Change always resides um, on the other side of comfort. We have to get uncomfortable. We have to be willing to love beyond uh, what we're familiar with. And so that's that's what transformation is made of. And, and that's why I'm so grateful for what we're doing. You know, it's so interesting uh, that even if we do that, Nona, one of the challenges that people, perhaps even in the church, will ask themselves is the question that you undoubtedly ask your team when you're talking to your fellow executives at Facebook, and that's the trust factor. Uh, people are wondering what it is to trust, on what basis they should trust others. When people say, I'm inviting you to come and to be a part of our church, uh, why should they trust? So what, what have you found in your professional career uh, and in your ministry uh, is the best way of generating that trust so that when that invitation is, ex is extended, people will respond? I love this question. And I think, I think that trust is an outcome of really flipping the model where uh, I'm not inviting you to come to me. I'm actually finding a way to get to you um, because really trust is, is just demonstrating that, look, I care about you. I care about you so much that I'm willing to go into unfamiliar territory in order to see how I can uh, come alongside of you and meet the needs that you have. Um, I'm not going to make you have to, you know, kind of dislocate your life in order to come to where I am. Instead, I am going to do what the Great Commission commands. I'm going to go. And so I think it's it's the process of going uh, into all the earth. It's the process of going where the people are that really demonstrates you can trust me because I have a vested interest in you. And I think that's the currency of trust is just the tangible evidence that I actually care about you because we won't trust someone who doesn't care about us, right? Because they clearly have an ulterior motive. It's when we show up where the other person is that we're demonstrating, no, I really do care about you. And I think after doing that enough and building up enough relational capital, then when we extend the invitation to come where we are, it's a natural progression because of course I want to be where you are because you've been where I am consistently um, over time. And so I do think that's really, really important is to go where they are. Go where they are, demonstrate to them that you care about them. And as their trust grows in you, your trust has to remain strong in the Lord who has told us that if we're faithful to do these things, that he'll take it from there. 
Amen. Amen. And, and that's the key. I think our partnership with God starts with surrender. Um, it starts with surrendering to um, his will. And what's interesting is, you know, his will is not our will. Our will is comfort. That, that's just, I think, the human condition. Our will is comfort. Um, but his will is always to go into the places that make us uncomfortable because it's when we're uncomfortable that we activate faith. And I think this is a personal personal opinion, but I think a lot of times we assume that faith is just us trusting God. But the truth is, God is God whether we trust him or not, right? Like God is sovereign whether we trust him or not. Faith is actually God being able to trust us, <laughs> which means when he speaks, uh, we rise to the level of his voice. Um, we, we obey what he says and God can trust that. And so I think um, it's, it's discomfort that really proves the level of faith that we have and the ability that God has to trust us to move. So how does that inform your leadership style? Does that mean that you as a leader or anybody who seeks to follow the Lord and to be a leader in his or her own field uh, should seek to generate discomfort so as to allow faith to grow with the Lord? That's a great question. I think we have to um, really build a discipline of hearing and knowing the voice of God. Because I do believe that God consistently calls us into places that are unfamiliar, that are uncomfortable, uh, where we don't have all the answers so that we can learn how to place our faith in God. Because if we don't have the answer and God calls us into the space, obedience is faith. Because it's like, look, I don't know what this is. I don't know how this is going to work out. I think as leaders, we have to build that practice, which requires spending time with God, regularly spending time with God, studying the word, praying for uh, clarity and wisdom, and just daily surrendering to the will of God. Uh, I, can, I can count so many instances in my career uh, where the Lord, he spoke something that made no sense. But because I had spent time with him, because I have a discipline of really studying the word and, and getting before him in prayer and listening to his voice, I was able to obey. Um, I was able to obey and I reaped the reward of that obedience in that unfamiliar and uncomfortable place. Okay, now that's the point at which many people are going to lose you because they're going to say, well, look, if my faith is going to come into conflict with my business enterprises or with the strategy that I've set or with the direction we've established, uh, I'm not so sure I want to do that. Uh, can you, can you uh, point to instances in your own life in which you said, look, my faith says I'm going to go in this direction God's leading me in this direction, even though everybody else is telling me the other way is the way to go. Oh, yeah. Well, I think it's it's actually a biblical principle. I mean, faith, uh, it's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. I think in business, um, you know, we can see the data, we can see the statistics, the trends, we can read the reports and the white papers. All that information is great, but it still is not um, revealing the future. It shows what could happen. It shows the probability of what could happen, but it doesn't reveal the future. The only one who knows the future is God. And so I have had uh, several instances where the data, the trends, the reports, the statistics would have said, 
okay, we need to double down and investing in this thing over here because this is the thing that's going to blow up and be a huge success. But in my prayer time, I heard the Lord saying no. And so against all the data, all the numbers, all the statistics against my team, my team's like, look, this is a slam dunk. This is what we need to do. I said, you know, I I just don't think that's the right decision. And sure enough, months later, we come to find out, oh my God, I'm so glad we didn't make that decision. And so I I think that's really what it is. It's recognizing, you know, as a believer, we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And so, yes, we see the numbers. I see the numbers. Look, I'm a data nerd. Like, I love numbers. I, mm, I, eat, I eat data for breakfast and lunch and dinner. And at the same time, I'm also cognizant of the fact that only one person sees the end at the beginning, and that's not me. <laughs> so it's so important to submit our plans to the Lord. And if he decides to pivot the strategy, we have to be willing to pivot. Uh, because, again, that's a sign of faith. You know, this is not something that a lot of people are going to hear or, or, or naturally associate with uh, one of the world's most significant social media companies, this kind, of, this kind of approach. And yet it's precisely what the Lord tells us to do. It's precisely what he says is going to be the most fruitful. And uh, you in your own life uh, can point to it in so many ways. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing about it is, a, a big part of becoming a faith forward leader, that's that's what I call it, being a faith forward leader where you're led by your faith, um, is I think you have to be cognizant and constantly reflecting on God's faithfulness in your life. So, you know, what I do, and, and uh, the Bible says this, Philippians chapter four, six through seven, favorite scriptures, you know, be anxious for nothing, but in everything uh, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Make your requests known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. A lot of times when that verse is read, uh, we skip over the with thanksgiving part. So we'll say, be anxious for nothing, but, you know, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. It's the thanksgiving part that actually activates peace, because what thanksgiving requires is it requires us to remember all that God has done uh, against all odds. And it's the gratitude that actually builds faith. And that's what I reflect on as a leader. I reflect on the fact that God's been faithful. God has called me into some places that didn't make any sense, but he was faithful in creating opportunity in what appeared to be a desert. He created a stream um, because that's, that's how he is. And that's his nature. That's his character. Mm, that's absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Well, now you have been working with the Salvation Army for several years now. You're a member of the Territorial Advisory Board for the USA Western Territory. Uh, tell us what you have learned uh, over the course of that time about the Army and its work and where you think uh, you're advising the Army to go forward in the days to come. Uh, you, you've learned about us, you know about our, our desire to serve the Lord in every way, to serve everyone in need without discrimination. Uh, what are your impressions and what are you uh, saying to Commissioner Doug Riley, the territorial commander in the West, about how the Salvation Army should respond to human need right now? Well, I think what energizes me about the Army is exactly what you just said. It's, it's helping everyone in need 
without discrimination. And I, again, I think that is Jesus. Like there's, there's nothing more pure, nothing more purely Jesus than being accessible to people in need. Um, I think about the story of the woman who, you know, touched the hem of his garment. And it's funny because, you know, he says, he's like, you know, who touched me? And the disciples are like, oh my gosh, you know, everyone's touching you. What do you mean who touched you? Um, but, but there was something very special about the, the woman and her need and the fact that even though because she was, you know, bleeding for all these years, she shouldn't have even been there. She made her way, crawled her way to Jesus through humility. And, and, and she was like, I know that he's the Messiah and he can do this for me. And so Jesus met her need. And there was something special about the way that she approached him that made her presence known, even though she was hidden. And I think what the army does is we see the people who are hidden to society. We see them, we know them, we love them without discrimination. And I think that's what that's what piques people's interest uh, about the, the faith because they're like, it isn't so much a church building and a sermon uh, that they're looking for. They're looking for hope and they're looking for help. <laughs> and so uh, that's what's been so inspiring to me. And I think uh, one of the major opportunities, just given my my background and kind of you know the arc of my career, um, is meeting people's needs in, in the digital space. Um, it's interesting. I was in Nashville uh, about four or five months ago and I was heading into a restaurant and there was a gentleman who was homeless and he asked for uh, some money. I didn't have any cash on me. And as I was walking in, he said, well, I take Venmo. <laughs> and I thought for a second, I said, I said, you take Venmo. So in my mind, I'm like, wait, this, this man who's homeless is in the digital space, right? So it's just to imagine how many other people are in need who, you know, they may not show up to a building. They may not show up to a church building or, you know, a Salvation Army building, but, but they, they're there. They're in the digital space and figuring out how to leverage social technology um, to, to meet their need where they are and, and demonstrate the love of Jesus. So that's, that's what's top of mind for me. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. I think uh, you could always point to our founder, William Booth, uh, who was going to use every means at his disposal uh, to proclaim the gospel and meet human need. He was among the very first people to ever use film. Uh, he was the first one ever to do a motor tour around England uh, proclaiming the gospel. Uh, he was a pioneer. He would take any new mode of conveyance or any new mode of communication and turn it to the purposes uh, of the gospel. In fact, he would regularly take the uh, uh, dance hall tunes that were common and give them scriptural lyrics and he would totally transform the meaning, but it would bring in droves of people who all wanted to hear these popular tunes. And he always said, uh, why should the devil have all the good songs? I love it. I love it. <laughs> I got to use that. I got to use it. It's true. I think I think it's it's true. And it's, it's a recognition of where the people are. I mean, I, again, I, I just always reflect on the life of Jesus because I believe he truly is our, he's our blueprint. And I find it interesting that when he was gathering his disciples, you know, he didn't go to the you know, seminaries of that day. Like he didn't go uh, into the temples and, and look for the most astute 
scholarly people, uh, I find it interesting that uh, he kind of cobbled together this uh, motley crew of people, many of whom were like ostracized themselves and outcasts for various reasons. Um, and so I, <laughs> I love that. It's, it's really thinking about how can we use this thing that many people may be looking down upon uh, as a, a mechanism, as a bridge to people who this is their language. This is the language they speak. They won't understand if we come in with an opera. But they will understand if we come in with th these tunes, because this is what they're listening to. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, that is absolutely the, that is a, a wonderful Salvation Army representation of the way we should take the gospel to people, what they will hear and how they will hear it. Now, uh, at the outset of our program, uh, I mentioned the fact that you have a wonderful family. Uh, and that you even have a golden doodle. And there are some people who are going to wonder, what is a golden doodle? So uh, as, as we bring our broadcast to a close, I'm wondering, tell us about your family and what you plan for the holiday season. Oh, I'd love to. So uh, I'll, I'll start with my golden doodle. Um, uh, her name is Shiloh. A golden doodle is essentially a, a poodle golden retriever mix. And so she is full of energy, full of love. I call her just like a, a, a love vacuum because you can never pet her enough. You can never cuddle her enough. Uh, the moment you stop, you can pet her for like five hours straight. The moment you stop, she's like, why'd you stop? So, um, but she's just such a delight. Um, so she's the, the baby girl of the family. I had to get a girl into this situation because I have my two boys uh, that are 10 and 12. And then my husband and I, we've been married for 18 years. We got married. Uh, I was one month out of college. My husband is six years older than me. Um, and so I always tell him, I was like, man, you just literally robbed the grave. Uh, robbed the cradle. Uh, I told him, you robbed the cradle. I told him, I said, you know, I said, you were driving when I was in the fourth grade. And he hates when I say that, but it's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'll and you'll all be together. Will you all be at home? Yeah, we're going to be home for the holidays, which is amazing to me because I, I travel so much, um, but I just wrapped my last trip of 2022. I just landed first thing this morning. I did a red eye uh, and uh, I don't have to travel again until mid-January. So I'm going to be home enjoying my family and trying to just enjoy being home. <laughs> Marvelous. Well, we do hope that you'll enjoy every single minute of, a no of it, Nona, because you certainly deserve it all. And we know that you've got a very busy 2023 ahead of you, including your work with the Salvation Army. Yay. So allow me to thank you so much for everything that you have done with the Army and for so many people across the country in so many ways over the course of 2022. It's such a joy and a privilege. Um, so I'm excited about next year. Oh, we're looking forward to it. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today for the Love Beyond series of podcasts on the Fight for Good podcast from the Salvation Army. God bless you, and we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Tune in for more of the Love Beyond the podcast series and subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to podcasts.